And that summary of the entirety of the Buddha's teachings is <laughs> my attempt to try and make them approachable, manageable, and inspiring. And one reason I wanted to, to do that is because I've just uh, come back from teaching a six-week retreat in the U.S. and then a nine-day retreat in Australia. And I know many of you here have done retreats and you've had that experience at some point in the retreat of suddenly asking yourself, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here? And that can come up not only in retreat, but in daily life too, in daily practice, in meditation. Maybe for some of you, even in the sitting we just did, what am I doing here? Why did I come here? And yes, on one level we can see that as a symptom of doubt, but actually it's also a healthy question to ask and to keep asking. Because especially in the context of everyday life, it can be so easy to just get swept away in the momentum of day-to-day -day busyness and practicalities, and we can so quickly lose sight of our deeper aspirations, our deeper intentions, our deeper values. And so just asking, what am I doing here, can help reset. Oh yes, this is my deeper aspiration. The second benefit of asking that question regularly is to check whether how we're practicing is in fact leading in the right direction, is leading towards freedom. And that's the overall purpose of insight meditation, vipassana, the style of practice that we're doing here. So in that overall description of our new theme, I've tried to simplify the whole of the Buddha's teaching into just those two sentences. And at the same time, hopefully, not losing the depth and the breadth of those teachings. So we could take any single word from that description, just the word obstacles, just the word stress, just the word ease, just the word hinders, any one of them could be a whole multi-week exploration. Because each of those words is informing and shaping how we live our lives in the world and how we engage with our Dharma practice. So Dharma is the Pali word that refers both to the Buddha's teachings and to, the, to reality, to the truth of how things are. And because tonight is our first meeting of the year, I thought I'd like to focus, yes, just on one word from that description, the word freedom. Because that one word gives us the whole purpose of this path, the whole purpose of what we are in fact doing here. And yet I think it's fair to say freedom is also a word that's easily misunderstood. And it can bring with it all kinds of interpretations, maybe misinterpretations, that may or may not be useful. And I don't know about for any of you, but sometimes in the context of meditation, when people hear the word freedom, it can sound lofty or distant or maybe remote or abstract. For some people, even just irrelevant. So before we go any further, I thought, rather than me talking through it, it could be useful for each of us to get a bit clearer about what do we mean by this word freedom. 
And there's no right or wrong here. It's just an inner exploration. What does that word mean to you in this context? And rather than speaking out loud, I thought actually to do it as a very short written exercise. So I came prepared with pens and papers, and I'll give them out now, and then we can take a few moments of silence, and I'll just drop in that question just to, as an entry, entryway into this theme. So just a couple of minutes of silence now, and just as you hear this word freedom, just free flow, jotting down what images, associations, meanings come up for you. What does freedom mean to you? Okay, would anybody like to share anything that stood out for them? Anything that arose about freedom? So water is freedom and all those different states that it goes in and it keeps cycling around and flowing, that's actually used in the discourses a lot. That image of natural flowing and overflowing from the streams to the rivers to the lakes down to the sea, that is the, a very classical metaphor. And I think one of the things I like about water is it... it there's no real obstacles. It just flows around. <laughs> it doesn't crash into... Well, sometimes it does, but it finds its way around whatever is in its way. So, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? Controlled by gravity. Water is controlled by gravity, or freedom is controlled by gravity? There's a limitation in, in that, in keeping freedom being controlled by gravity. That's one sort of thing. I mean, we're sitting here controlled by gravity. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think that water gives us a very good source of life, a very necessary source of life. Yeah. So water is a source of life, and like you said, it's controlled by gravity. And again, in the suttas, there's a sense of the natural pull, or the natural momentum. Once we start living in accordance with reality, there is a kind of an overall flow. It's not a smooth, straight line by any means, but there is a sense of just a natural, organic movement or momentum towards deeper and deeper experiences of freedom. Yeah, thank you. I think for me, um, which is really obvious for the Dharma, but like, um, I've been in places, I've, I can remember a holiday where I was caught by lots of thinking 
and worry and grief. And I wasn't able to fully enjoy the scenery and mm -hmm. the freedom of being on holiday. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like it's definitely not external, but internal. Yes. And I can enjoy wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, if I have freedom from, within my mind. Mm. But if I've got freedom to go anywhere in the world, I might not actually feel free. Yes, beautiful. So even though you were on holiday, the inner grief and turbulence, you didn't feel free. So for you, it's very much an inner quality that's independent of external conditions. Yeah, yeah great. Thank you. Yeah. I had a personal bout. I had the word bout. Yeah, beautiful. So without impediments, without obstacles, with ease, with flow, yeah. I had something similar. I had non-friction, and then I went non-fiction, because it's also <laughs> being in alignment with truth. Yeah. We're just free, free association there. Yeah. Anyone else before we move on? They're not being buffeted by the winds of change, and then and this too, and this too. Both of those equanimity, right? The steadiness, the centeredness, not being at the mercy of swept away, swept off balance. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Be my freedom to be yourself. Uh huh. And then establish a free relationship. Both parties could be really free and uh, mm -hmm. express themselves and uh, relate constantly. Yeah. And, and then um, feel equanimity was what I was seeking and then uh, tranquility. And the, the thing that I always relate to is do no harm. Yeah, do no harm. Jill did what I thought was an hour and a half of, um, of a talk where all he did was really work with do no harm. That was Gil Fransdell? Yeah, Gil Fransdell. Yeah. yeah and, I and when I was discussing this with uh, a rat reviewer ordained from the uh, <clears throat> I kept saying that that was really the way I wanted to, to synthesize and compress everything. Mm. If I could just do no harm. Beautiful. Though you probably have heard me say in the discourses that uh, um, ethical conduct is seen as freedom from fear. We give each other the gift of freedom from fear of being harmed and also ourselves, the freedom from fear of being found out or punished. So that's maybe in the terrain of what you're describing there. Thank you. So thank you, really appreciate highlighting those different facets of what freedom can mean and how you each have a sense of it in the context of your own life, your own practice. But if you're anything like me, <laughs> that understanding doesn't always translate into lived experience. 
not as often or as deeply as I might like. So in the second part of this description of the theme, the theme of the way to freedom, what hinders and what helps, I mentioned what hinders just to normalize that just having the aspiration to live with more freedom isn't enough. We have to understand, well, what gets in the way of living more freely and what supports that same freedom? And especially in the early stages of this journey, what I think is most obvious is all the ways that we're not free. And to be clear, I think you will know this, the freedom we're talking about here is not the freedom to just do whatever we like, whenever we like, and follow our every desire with unconstrained abandon. That's more of maybe a mainstream fantasy of freedom. But from the Buddha's perspective, that's pretty far from true freedom. It would actually be seen as more of a form of slavery, Because in that scenario, we're just being pulled around by our default conditioning. And the Buddha summarized those kind of default unconscious energies. He divided them into three basic categories, some of you probably familiar with. The energy of greed or compulsion, the energy of hatred or aversion, and the energy of ignorance or delusion. And when there's no mindfulness or awareness, those three tend to just blindly have us reacting, driven by unconscious habits and impulses or on autopilot. And when those three energies are at play, we tend to cause harm to ourselves, harm to others. So the Buddha famously said words to the effect that mindfulness is the path to the deathless, And those without mindfulness are as if already dead. So one way we could interpret that is the deathless means being fully alive. And the reference to those without mindfulness as being, quote, as if already dead, we can think of them as being like zombies, you know, just moving through life completely unconsciously. And so as we're starting to explore now what gets in the way of freedom not seeing clearly, not understanding what's motivating us is one pretty key obstacle. And a few moments ago, when I mentioned those three afflictive energies, the Buddha saw those three as what keeps this whole painful cycle going. And that cycle is traditionally referred to as samsara, just spinning out in misery when there's no awareness, no mindfulness. So some of you might be familiar with the Tibetan image of the wheel of life. I brought an example of it here. Anyone seen that kind of iconography before? It's an iconic image of how we tend to keep making the same mistakes over and over and just almost like a hamster on a wheel. (laughs) That feeling at times of running to stay still. And in these kind of wheel images, pretty much always at the center of the wheel is a trio of animals chasing each other. There's a cock, a snake, and a pig. And each animal has the tail of the other animal in its mouth. So they're all looped together, spinning around. 
the snake represents the of core afflictive energy of aversion or hatred. Poor snakes, they always get a bad rap <laughs> because they have a painful or even a fatal bite. So the snake represents aversion. The cock is actually the one that represents greed or compulsion. We might expect the pig to do that, but it's actually the cock in this system because the cock's just like peck, 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 just going for the next hit of food. And it's the pig that represents ignorance or delusion because if you see a pig, it's snuffling, snuffling along with its snout in the mud and its ears are flopped over its eyes and it just doesn't really know where it's going, what it's doing. So these three energies are spiraling around and reinforcing each other. Not only that, but every moment that we ourselves are not seeing how we're under the influence of these energies, they tend to become more our default setting. So in every moment, including now, we're actually strengthening either these afflictive core energies or more skillful ones. And over time, these different patterns of response tend to become our default setting. And because they are so ingrained, they're almost like the water we swim in. So later on in the Buddhist tradition, they developed this system of categorizing people according to those three default patterns. So some of you have heard this teaching on the greed type, the aversive type, and the deluded type. And so some of you might be wondering, well, how do you know which type you are? And there's one way I often like to share this. If this is your first time hearing this classification system, you might just get a sense now of your reaction. Or if you heard it before, you might try and remember back to when you first heard it. And there's a pretty common reaction to hearing about this classification system. One common reaction is, oh, fascinating. I wonder which one of them is the best. I hope I'm the best one. I want to find out more. I wonder if there's some books I can read or some talks I can listen to. Or maybe there's a website where I can do a test. I, want to work, I can't wait to work out which one I am. And I wonder which one my partner is. Fascinating. So anyone recognize what response that might be? <laughs> yes? <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh. <laughs> which of the three? Oh. Yeah, the, greed. the greed type. Yep. Yeah, so if that's broadly in line with your response, then possibly you're a greed type. Another pretty common reaction is, how ridiculous. Human beings are far more complex and sophisticated than that. We can't all be reduced to just three simple types. I thought Buddhism was supposed to be more sophisticated than that. And anyway, aren't we supposed to be transcending all kinds of identification? Not just adding more systems to cling to. I'm not going to waste my time even thinking about that. Anyone have a sense of what that one might be? <laughs> Aversion, yes, yes. Yes, yes, we'll come to that in a moment. We are all... Yes, we all are a mix of all three. But I'm just going to finish with the third type, the third common response. Hmm, three personality types. 
I don't know. I mean, sometimes I want things, but does that mean I'm greedy? And I don't like something, but I don't know. Is that really aversion? And sometimes I do like something, but then I don't know if I really do like it. And it's kind of confusing. So what was it? The greed type, the hatred type? Was there another one in there? (laughs) I'm sure there was three. Greed, hatred. What was that other one again? So pretty obviously, that's the delusion type. And as Mort was saying, all three, you know, we all are operating to varying degrees from all three of them. And for myself, I found that I was much more highly developed in aversion. And I had so much aversion to it that I tried to get rid of it. <laughs> and now I find I have delusion rising, which I'm not that happy about. <laughs> and I just want to give the caveat that, you know, we can all recognize some of these streams in all of us at the time. But the purpose is not to reinforce the sense of self. Oh, yes, that's me. I'm a perfect greed type. Oh, I'm an aversive type. How terrible. Or am I a deluded type? I don't really know. (laughs) We want to hold this lightly with a sense of humor and actually use it to help not take ourselves so seriously, to see that these patterns are not unique to us. They're not our individual neurosis. They're just kind of basic orientations of this body heart, mind. And as Mort was saying, investigation is key. The more clearly we can see when we're under the grip of one of these three, the easier it is to help them to change. And actually, according to the tradition, each one has a positive counterpart. So the greed type, when it's accompanied by mindfulness and wisdom, develops into faith, confidence, trust. The aversion type, when it's developed with wisdom and mindfulness, develops into discernment, into wisdom. And the delusion type develops into equanimity because it can see the whole, all the characteristics. So now we're back in the train of what helps us on the way to freedom. And clearly seeing what gets in the way is really key. Mindfulness and wisdom what we need to transform the unhelpful into the helpful. There's a lot more that we could say about any of that. But tonight, I really just wanted to touch into it and give a a brief uh, introduction to the terrain. And then over the coming weeks, we can keep unfolding and developing it. So I'll finish there for now so that we have plenty of time to connect, to say hello and then after the tea break to come back and just uh, have some sharing, a group discussion about what I've just uh, offered. So thank you for your attention. I'll leave it there for now.